Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson and this week we are continuing my mini-series on the history of fascism, the 100 years of fascist history that we have unfortunately seen since the 1920s. This week we are talking about the 1980s. Now, the 1980s were a period of major transition between the post-war era, that is the mid-20th century, to the postmodern era, the, the era that we're essentially in right now. You know, uh, the Soviet Union was teetering on the edge of collapse. The United States was about to become the only ma major military power in the world. China is about to enter the world economy in a very major way. Um, this is the birth in many ways, of the world that most of us know now. Uh, the name for the form of capitalism that has been dominant since about this time period and, you know, earlier into the 70s as well, is called neoliberalism. Now, neoliberalism is associated with several right-wing figures, in, particularly in the United States and the United Kingdom. I'm talking about Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher. Now, epithets aside, neither Reagan nor Thatcher were fascists. You know, they weren't revolutionary right-wing figures whose goal was to completely reorganize society in a revolutionary way. Like, realistically, they didn't change their societies particularly that much. You know, they cut the budgets of some things, they changed around some of the numbers in some places. But like, you know, Ronald Reagan, for example, gave an amnesty to all people who were undocumented immigrants in the United States, or at least undocumented immigrants from Latin America. Unlike Donald Trump, for example, who was elected essentially on the promise that he was going to deport all undocumented immigrants in the United States. That's an extremely major change, right? And that is the change that I'll be talking about in the next couple episodes, you know, the, the, the emergence of the extreme right wing as a mainstream force in the United States. My point is that in the 80s, Reagan and Thatcher were not yet members of the extreme right. They're conservatives, you know, they are pretty establishment conservatives. They are pro-business and, you know, they don't want socialism and they're opposed to government intervention and all that sort of stuff. That's neoliberalism. But it's not fascism. Specifically, it's not fascism because of a number of other things that Reagan and Thatcher believed in, which was essentially like, you know, just families being the most important thing in society, right? Uh, this is a famous quote. From Margaret Thatcher, there is no such thing as society. There are only individuals and families, right? Her claim is that society as such isn't really a thing, right? Yeah, and, and it's atomized individuals and families that make up society itself, right? Each individual participating in the system. Uh, as opposed to a more collectivist way of understanding society or collective responsibility, which they identified correctly with the left and with socialism, which was their main enemy. The key thing here, though, uh, broadly, is that the 80s were a power of extreme conservative power, uh, especially in the West, especially in the United States and Japan and the United Kingdom. Uh, and the conservative right was so powerful that they just kind of really didn't need fascists to do any dirty work. If you remember back in the episodes uh, before the 1920s, the 1920s, 30s and 40s, this is what fascists were originally for, right? They were a means by which conservatives could maintain or gain power. Since the conservatives were already running the show, they didn't really need the fascists to do anything for them. And so they didn't really use them and took no advantage of them. That's broadly the story of the 80s. 
However, the 80s are also the beginnings of a lot of trends that we will eventually see come to fruition, uh, to a really disturbing fruition in the 90s and 2000s, ultimately culminating in the emergence of the alt-right and the extreme right wing that we see operative in the world today. So I'm going to talk about some of these examples. Let's start with the United Kingdom. The 1980s was the birth of the British National Party, which is one of the biggest right-wing parties that is still around in the United Kingdom today. It was founded by a man named John Tyndall in 1982. Tyndall was an active uh, member of various fascist movements in the United Kingdom previously, uh, including the National Front, which I spoke of in a previous uh, episode in this little mini-series. However, he was disillusioned with that organization and decided to found a new group, which is originally called like the New National Front, but you know he, he changed the name to the British National Party. The BNP did some electoral work in the 1980s, mostly like small local elections, which in the United Kingdom are called council elections. They won a couple seats, but not enough to actually have anything be important. Uh, they've only ever really gotten like, I think, 1% of the vote when they've uh, fielded people for national elections. You know, they're, they're, they're a tiny political force, electorally at least. Their main work is in street brawls and street presence. Uh, where they spent the 1980s engaging with the United Kingdom's extremely robust and powerful and extremely influential anti-fascist uh, labor and um, racial equality movements, um, which were extremely successful in the 1980s in stopping the emergence of a, you know, what, what could have been an extremely powerful nascent fascist movement as the United Kingdom was deindustrializing and found itself with a lot of downwardly mobile white men, which is the primary demographic of a fascist movement or of fascist organizations in general. Eventually, the BNP will go on to become a somewhat more moderate party, but it's still extremely right-wing, sort of more normatively anti-immigrant and racist. Um, I, I want to be clear, the BNP is a, a disgusting racist organization. Uh, however, compared to what they were in the 1980s, they're a little bit less of an explicitly neo-Nazi fascist gang, like, like a little bit less of a just like a street gang, uh, which is what they were primarily in the 1980s. Speaking of street gangs, uh, fascist ones, um, another organization that was founded in the 1980s is WAR, uh, which is an acronym for White Aryan Resistance, uh, originally called White American Resistance. This is the United States fascist group, uh, which was founded by Tom Metzger, uh, whose death I have celebrated previously in an episode of the main line of the podcast. War is a self-avowed racist neo-Nazi organization. You know, their newspapers and propaganda stuff say, you know, like the most racist newspaper in the country or like the most racist TV show in the country. Uh, they promote racial violence and uh, engage in a lot of violence, um, both against people of color in the United States and also with anti-fascists and socialists and other people who oppose fascism in general. Primarily what they did was harass and engage in violence against immigrants in the United States. Uh, this is a particularly race-organized group. They're like very openly neo-Nazi. You know, they have swastikas and stuff all over the place. Uh, war members were most famously involved in a murder in the United States, the murder of a man named Mulageta Seral, an Ethiopian student immigrant who came to the United States uh, in order to be a student. Uh, he was murdered by war members on November the 13th, 1988 in Portland, Oregon. Uh, these people were eventually tried with murder and were, you know, successfully put in jail for this. However, this case is particularly famous for the civil case that came afterwards. Uh, 
um, Mr. Soros' family sued War and several other, you know, entities and organizations and people uh, in a civil case about discriminating against this deceased person and uh, succeeded. The ACLU, which prosecuted the case, used this in order to seize a bunch of information and money from these organizations, effectively stopping them. And this is a tactic that the ACLU has used several times, uh, specifically against fascist and racist organizations. They did this a number of other times in the 1980s, for example, using it to shut down several KKK groups, uh, specifically ones that were organizing attacks against immigrants. Um, for example, um, there was a KKK organization that spent a lot of its time attacking Vietnamese immigrants. They used a similar tactic in order to shut them down. The 1980s also saw the tail end of neo-fascist violence in Italy. Uh, this is an event called the Bologna Massacre. The 1970s saw a period of street violence uh, on the part of neo-fascists um, against anti-fascists and against the forces of state security. So, you know, the police, the gendarmes, people like that. The Bologna Massacre was essentially the last gasp of these like extremely major events uh, and was ultimately the most deadly bombing in Italy since World War II was perpetrated by a neo-fascist organization called the Nucleare Armati Revolutionari, and the Armed Revolutionary Nuclei, uh, which was a neo-fascist organization responsible for other killings, bombings, kidnappings, stuff like that. Uh, they were affiliated with an organized crime group in Italy. They put a time bomb in the city of Bologna, Italy, uh, at a train station on an extremely hot day when a lot of people were using the train station in order to cool off because the train station had AC. Uh, the bomb killed 85 people and wounded some 200 more. Uh, like I said, this was the worst bombing in Italy since World War II and Italy's largest and most deadly terrorist attack. There was a series of complex trials and hearings after this bombing, uh, which resulted in several prosecutions, jailings um, for murder, for defamation, for sedition, for stuff like that. Uh, the organization, the you know, the armed revolutionary nuclei uh, collapsed shortly thereafter, a couple years later. And this was the end of this period in Italian history, at least like the major, major feature of Italian history. The 1980s also saw the end of another important part of right-wing history in the 1920s. This is when the vast majority of right-wing military governments in South America collapsed, uh, in Argentina, in Brazil, and in Chile. Oh, well, Chile is a little complicated, you know. I mean, like I said, I'm a historian, so things bleeding into the 90s a little bit is, you know, that's still, quote-unquote, the 80s from a historical perspective. In Argentina, the dictatorship ended in the early 80s with the collapse of support and, um, you know, popular will to accept this military government, uh, largely due to economic problems, but also due to the fact that the country of Argentina tried to invade the Falkland Islands or the Malvinas Islands, uh, which are controlled by the United Kingdom, but which are extremely close to Argentina and which Argentina has always claimed uh, to be theirs. This invasion was a horrible failure. Uh, they expected Margaret Thatcher's uh, United Kingdom to maybe roll over and kind of just let them take these islands. Uh, the United Kingdom did not. Uh, instead, they reinvaded the islands with pretty much overwhelming force because it's the United Kingdom. They're an extremely powerful country uh, and were able to completely like rout the Argentines. Uh, this combined with, um, like I said, economic problems and also with the fact that the military government had murdered uh, several tens of thousands of people 
uh, over the previous years meant that their um, support collapsed and the government was replaced with a series of caretaker governments with full democracy, you know, to the extent that any liberal uh, democracy is a full democracy by the late 1980s. In Brazil, similarly, the military government ended or sort of petered out in the 1980s. Um, Brazil was always somewhat more moderate than some of its other neighbors, or at least in terms of like how many people that it killed. Uh, it's not as if a right-wing military government that operated in a country of, you know, several hundred million people from the 1960s to the 1980s could really be considered to be a moderate organization. Uh, however, they killed fewer people and uh, especially had killed fewer of the leaders of the Brazilian left. And so a lot of these people came back to Brazil and would eventually come to be the leaders of Brazil in the contemporary era, uh, such as Lula de Silva and Dilma Rousseff, uh, two former presidents of Brazil. In Chile, the 1980s saw a moderation and a turn to civilian rule on the part of the Pinochet dictatorship. Although uh, by moderation, again, I don't mean that they stopped being an oppressive uh, state, uh, just that they uh, no longer killed quite so many people and were no longer quite so obvious about their um, violent right-wing tendencies. By the late 80s, however, Pinochet was getting extremely old and had promised a plebiscite on his rule. A plebiscite is a, you know, a simple up-down vote. Yes or no, do you want Pinochet to stay the president? Uh, and the vote was lost by Pinochet. He lost. Um, he could no longer stay the president. He was really shocked by this. Um, it was some of an, of an upset for him. Uh, and so he eventually had to leave public life, uh, although he did remain uh, a senator for life, which uh, uh, made him immune from prosecution for his crimes against humanity in Chile. Uh, although that did not save him from prosecution elsewhere, although uh, I will talk about that later because it happens in the future after the 1980s. All right. That was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review, a like, or whatever, on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Uh, tell your friends, family, and comrades about the podcast. That's how most people hear about it. If you really like the podcast, please check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 all one word and spelled out. Uh, that's also how you can reach me on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right, that's H I S T of the right, and fascism 15. Uh, again, that's 15, all spelled out. All right, thanks very much, and I'll talk to you next week.